listening to an audio sermon from Port William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, everyone. And Happy New Year. I'm sure we're all hoping that this will truly be a different year than the last couple. At least I am. I'm getting a little frustrated. I want to thank the musicians as well. I know nothing, and this is not being humble. I know nothing about music, but I'm sure they don't just come up here and do their thing without any type of practice. So thanks to the musicians for helping us in our worship. It's also my pleasure to give your, your pastor some type of sabbatical, so I hope he has some, some sabbatical. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you will turn to Philemon, and that is one of the smallest books, indeed a letter, tucked away between Hebrews and Titus, the letter of Philemon, or the letter from Paul to Philemon. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 21. Philemon, verses 1 to 21. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. And to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you, since I am a person as Paul, such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in every person, in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will." For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. 
Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, having confidence in your obedience. I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Father, before us is your word. And Father, I would pray that uh, as we seek to understand your word, that your Holy Spirit would truly be with each and every one of us that you would imprint on our hearts, imprint upon our minds what you would have for us. And Father, just take away words that are just from a man. But Father, may your word abide with us forever. For I ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, just as a preamble, let me first say that In the study of the book of Philemon, or the letter of Philemon, throughout history, it's it's often been used in one of two extremes. It's been used, in one case, to support slavery, and in the other extreme, to support the abolition of slavery. And let me say, and this is from theologians which I happen to, uh, to greatly respect, even though We understand there's a number of principles in Scripture that support personal freedom, the abolition of freedom. That is not what Philemon is about. Philemon really is about the gospel because it's eternity that counts. So we'll leave it there. So we have this letter from Paul to Philemon. And Philemon is a slave owner, and it was written around 60 AD from a friend To a friend. Now this, unlike uh, some of Paul's other letters, uh, Paul's other letters being very theological, uh, very logical, Paul's other letters being very sound, indeed, uh, very difficult uh, to understand, this is very much a pastoral letter. Uh, Paul opens his heart, as it were, uh, to his friend Philemon. And so in sending this letter, he's really asking or compelling Philemon uh, to consider a Christ-like response to his request. Slavery in the Roman Empire, and indeed in throughout all the world actually, uh, slavery in the Roman Empire was very abusive. It was very degrading. Uh, in many cases, many cases, which there is much written about slavery, uh, was extremely cruel. Slaves uh, in the Roman Empire were by and large used uh, to do all types of physical labor, that is true. But in in the Roman Empire, there are also many slaves used in household duties. Slaves used to act as teachers. Slaves used to act as uh, physicians to keep finances. So it's not just the physical labor. There were millions of slaves throughout the the Roman Empire. Indeed, uh, it's been written that in the the major cities throughout the Roman Empire, over one-third of the city's population was made up of slaves. So an awful lot of slaves. And because of the sheer numbers of slaves throughout the Roman Empire, Roman slave owners, together with the, the government, were terribly afraid of slave revolts, slave wars, which had happened a number of times, some large ones, some small ones, and the largest one, or the most significant that most of us are aware of, I think, was under Spartacus. 
And so there is this terrible fear of slave wars. And so there is harsh punishment for, the, for runaway slaves. And there was strict prohibition by the government of Rome for anyone that harbored runaway slaves. And so, again, this letter, a very personal letter, but though it's not a private letter, written to Philemon, but notice at the beginning, as we read, it's addressed to the entire church. And maybe one of the reasons could be that in addressing this letter to the entire church, Paul, or Philemon, uh, will seek advice from the people that is meeting in his house. And maybe Paul, in addressing the letter to the church, is asking the church to look at themselves in light of the way God has looked them in the past. That they were slaves to sin. And that God gave or provided grace, and that this grace, too, was to be passed on to Onesimus. Again, that is a thought. So here we have Onesimus, the runaway slave, now a believer in Jesus Christ. The, the wording is clear that it was Paul who led Onesimus to Jesus Christ. We do not have the, tale, the details of how Onesimus ended up uh, likely in the same jail as, as Paul. Or in, however, the, Paul led Onesimus to Christ. And here we have now Onesimus ministering to Paul. And one of the things that that I think we ought to highlight is Paul in his letter to his friend makes what I consider a remarkable point in verse 13. He says, on your behalf that he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. In other words, Onesimus, Paul's runaway slave, Uh, is now doing what Philemon would be doing had Philemon been in Rome at the same time. What would Philemon be doing? As Paul's friend, Philemon would be ministering to Paul in the same way that Philemon was now refreshing the hearts of the saints back at his home church, which was Colossae, based on his belief and his fellowship with Jesus Christ. So too this was true of Onesimus, now ministering to Paul. In other words, Onesimus' ministry to Paul in prison was in effect, an outreach was in effect of an extension of Philemon's own ministry back at his home church. However, as this ministry continues by Onesimus to to Paul, two issues uh, stand out. One was this Roman law against anyone that harbored a runaway slave. Paul could be charged uh, with harboring a runaway slave, over and above all the other charges that would be trumped up against him. And as well, from a personal perspective, Onesimus as a slave belongs to Philemon, and Paul wants to make things right. So in order to have a bit more context in order to, con- to look at the, the issues that each of these individuals would have to consider, let's look at these three characters a little bit more in detail. We have Onesimus. Now, I would think, working for and around his master Philemon, I would think that Onesimus would have had high regard for Philemon, uh, notwithstanding the master-slave relationship. Onesimus and his pre-Christian days, would have witnessed what Paul says about about Philemon, uh, summed up by him saying, Philemon refreshed the hearts of the saints. 
And Philemon, as a rich uh, slave owner, would undoubtedly would have been refreshing the hearts of Christians, poor Christians, who needed help. That's the idea here. And Philemon's character may have made it easier for Onesimus to agree to return back to his master. And we know that Onesimus did go back because in the letter to the Colossians in chapter 4, it says that Onesimus was take, was, went back with Titus. So Onesimus did go back. But there must have also, from a human perspective, have been some terrible fear and trepidation on the part of Onesimus as he returns, because he fully knew the punishment that could befall him as a runaway slave. And likely the context is that he might have also stolen something from Philemon. And so if he was a thief, that would be one charge plus now a runaway slave. I would also think that had Onesimus not been a believer in Jesus Christ, his actions would be to continue to hide out in Rome or, because he had been found out, run to another large city and kept from being found out. His whole purpose before his conversion was not to be found out. Now as a believer in Christ, he dares face his master who justifiably could impose a horrible, horrible, cruel death penalty on him. So that was what was facing Onesimus. Return and possibly get punished or hide out. Then we have Philemon. From Paul's comments, Philemon obviously had a profound ministry in the church of Colossae. That he owned slaves uh, and that the church met in his house would indicate that Philemon was well off, if not outrightly rich. As a slave owner, it's very important that we recognize in our time, in our church, uh, that receiving Paul's letter would put Philemon in a serious quandary of sorts as judged by Philemon's peers, as judged by other slave owners, which there were many. Why? Well, writings of the time tell us that slave owners, again, feared slave rebellion, thus any, thus any mutiny, thus any insurgents, thus runaway slaves were to be harshly, harshly punished. For example, I mentioned Spartacus. And even though most of the slaves were killed in a battle against the Romans, over 6,000 slave survivors were crucified along the road to Rome to deter other slaves. The message was clear. You rebel, you run away, this is what's awaiting you. So how was Philemon to react to this request of Paul, his dear friend, to forgive Onesimus rather than to punish him, as would be expected. Pressure from other owners, other slave owners, would obviously bear down on Philemon. He would face social shunning if he did what different than what they expected. He would face disdain. He would face social ostracization if he did nothing. It was in that cultural Culture simply unthinkable that a runaway slave would go unpunished. Slave owners had agreed that all slaves had to know that if they ran away, wherever they ended up, the same punishment would be awaiting them. And that was the sentiment in Rome, a common agreement on how to treat runaway slaves. 
and it was known to all slaves. So then we have Paul. As an apostle, he had certain rights. He had certain authority, as we read, on which to act. But Paul is saying that he could have kept Onesimus in Rome uh, with him in order to have him continue to minister him to him and then simply let Philemon know, I've got your slave, I hope it's okay, but he's ministering to me. He had that spiritual authority. But he says, but out of Christian love, the right thing to do is to send Onesimus back. Not only to seek forgiveness from Philemon, which is difficult enough, but more so, Paul is asking Philemon, who is from the upper echelons of status in that culture, to forgive and to reconcile with someone from the lowest, absolute lowest possible dredges of society. And if you've done any reading about the Roman system, you will acknowledge that slaves were treated with absolute contempt, no rights whatsoever. And so Paul is asking Onesimus to accept, or Paul is asking Philemon to accept Onesimus as he would Paul. In other words, what Paul is saying is he is accepting Onesimus to accept Onesimus as a brother, but more significantly, accept Onesimus as he would Paul. In other words, Philemon would be accepting Onesimus as of Christ, because Paul himself describes himself as an ambassador of Christ. And so Philemon would be accepting Onesimus now as a spiritual child from Paul in Christ's name. In effect... Paul is asking Philemon that Onesimus be, again, as a slave from the dredges of society, to be shown honor and respect by one from the very high levels of society. Now, what's so difficult about that? Writings of the time tell us that in the Roman culture, hospitality and honor would only be extended by the host to those of equal or of greater status than yourself. And here we have Onesimus from the bottom of the status pile, deprived of any honor, deprived of any respect. And again, that would be unthinkable to do such a thing. Therefore, in a society where cultural social status was exceptionally important, Philemon would be making a serious cultural faux pas in not punishing Onesimus. You see, in our contemporary Canadian egalitarian society, I think we may be prone to trivialize what was facing Philemon. We may be prone to to sort of undermine it and not attach much importance to it that Philemon had to consider social status and its prominence in that society. Because in our culture, status is really not elevated here in Canada, in maybe in some of the other cultures more so, but definitely not in Canada. But every Christian in every society lives in a culture with certain norms. Some of these norms are highly respected, Some of these norms are deeply entrenched, some not so. But every one of us, every Christian, uh, 
it's very difficult to go against the norms of that established society, especially those deeply entrenched ones, even if those norms are somewhat questionable in light of Scripture. We somehow have to grasp a little of the social pressure that Philemon would be under. Roman slave owners could do with their property as they wished. It was their legal right, and it was a culture of that time. But Paul is asking Philemon to go above and beyond the culture, going above and beyond his legal right. He is now asking Philemon to consider Onesimus now as a Christian brother equal with Philemon in the same way that we are to consider all believers as equal with us, ignoring status, ignoring their background, whatever it may be. And this is why the apostle, at least twice, stresses that the Christian principle that we as Christians ought to have is that There is no distinction with respect to social class. There's no distinction with respect to background. There's no distinction with with respect uh, to gender whatsoever. And I think part of the purpose is that as we come to Christ, it doesn't matter our background. We all come to Christ with the same sinful baggage. And no one comes to Christ with any less sin, despite what we may think. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, period. Galatians 3.11, there is no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Now we also noted that in Paul sending out this letter, to Philemon, he is addressing, yes, Philemon, but he is addressing the entire church. Now, why does he do that? Now, it could be, as I mentioned, that he wants the church to consider their background, that they too were slaves, slaves to sin. But Christ extended grace to them, and they were to extend that same grace to Philemon. That could be part of it. But I'm suggesting that in light of Paul's other's letters, he addresses the church because he's making a biblical point that he's made in his other epistles that is especially pertinent here. Thus, he addresses the entire church. And that is to say this, that Christians are not islands, that Christians are not rocks into themselves, separated from others, that we are part of one body. We are part of one body, which is Jesus Christ. And the point is that what each of us does as part of that body, as part of a local church, what each of us does and says has an effect on the other part of this body, whether we recognize it or not. Even speaking of culture, in North America, Sociologists tell us that by and large we're an individualistic society, a society that celebrates individualism, celebrates self-reliance, honors uh, self-sufficient self-determination, a society that views itself as, as independent, 
that I'm free, I can do what I want, and, and I have all these rights, and I want to exercise those rights, and nobody is going to tell me what to do. And particularly in North America, that tends to be emphasized, and this view has seriously permeated the Christian church. And I would add, and maybe you might or might not agree, with negative consequences. But no, we are not spiritual hermits. We are, whether we like it or not, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the scripture tells you and me that we're part of, this, a, of a body. We are not spiritually independent, and we can do, and we can think, and we can say, and we can act in whatever manner we desire. That is wrong, that is anti-scriptural, that is anti-Christ. Every part of the body affects another, as Paul then explains in Corinthians as well. There is no escaping this truth, despite some of us, and again, I speak to myself, some of us wanting to be more self-reliant, some of us wanting to be more independent from other. That is a wrong way to think. Look up the word fellowship for your homework. And what does that mean for the Christian church, particularly for the local church? My relationship, your relationship with Jesus Christ spreads to and affects every other member of the Christian church, particularly, again, more pertinent in the local church because we are part of the same body. And the point is, whatever then the action that Philemon was going to take, it would have consequences on the church that was meeting in his home. How would the church meeting in his home view his potential decision? Would it be truly as Christ-like, as different than the world? Or would it be the same as every other slave owner? Whatever Philemon decided would have implications, would have an effect on the rest of of the church. How would the world see Philemon if Onesimus was received by Philemon? Sorry, how would, I'll back up. How would the world see Philemon if Onesimus was received with grace and honor? And if Philemon's group of slave owners then asked him why he did such a disgraceful thing by forgiving Onesimus, by treating a slave in such a manner, Philemon could well respond because of what Jesus Christ did for me. Would Philemon's potential actions truly be seen as different, both by the church and the world? You see, the apostle always directs our actions uh, toward God's word. It doesn't direct our actions toward what I may think or not think. It's the word of God. And Paul says he can demand Philemon act in a certain manner, but for love's sake, he appeals to Philemon. And love has been the central message of Paul, this very theological individual. Some writers even say he was a very hard individual. But no, Paul's central message has also been about love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. That's Romans. That's a letter of Paul. Galatians, another letter of Paul. Through love, serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so why the scripture, why does Paul so strongly appeal to this love? Because it's the very heart of the gospel. A sacrificial action to do others good, perfectly illustrated in the sacrificial death of God's own beloved son for believers in Jesus Christ. So in Paul's command to do everything out of love in Corinthians, it is here exemplified by Paul himself. He doesn't just preach it, Paul lives it. And he's asking Philemon to respond to his request based on that same love. Because these two things might be mutually exclusive in in what Philemon wants to do and on this sacrificial love from Jesus Christ. Certainly, Philemon had rights. He did. Legal rights given to him by the government of Rome and all the authority of Rome backing his legal rights. Legal rights to carry out certain actions. He had been wronged by Philemon and he had the right to try to right these wrongs by doing whatever he decided to do. But do we see Paul here, in effect, saying, at times, your legal rights, Philemon, ought to be put aside for the sake of evidencing this love that Christ is giving, has given us, this sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Because Christ put aside his rights for us, but not just put aside his right for us, he then acquiesced. He acquiesced and submitted to his Father's will to live a righteous life that none of you, and I include myself, can ever live. And then he paid the penalty for sin that none of us could ever pay, thereby reconciling believers in Jesus Christ to himself. He's asking Philemon to put aside rights to exercise the very character, to exercise the very mind of Jesus Christ. And of course, by extension, that we all have that same mind of Christ. Not what rights we have, not what legal rights we have or don't have. Because the scripture goes on to say, if anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one. The apostle Peter Continues, he says, repay a wrong with a blessing, because for this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Are we depriving ourselves of a blessing in many cases? Peter goes on to say, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, let's remember that, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Paul points that we are to exalt and worship God. He doesn't point to our thinking, he points to Christ. He is reminding us that our Lord suffered unjustly. He was wrongly accused, Uh, he was ridiculed, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was whipped, and finally he was crucified to one of the most ungodly ways that a person can die, the most horrible way, and that is to a cross. All at the same time, he was blameless, and he didn't say a word. The Apostle Peter then says, to this you were called. And to this, he's talking about the suffering that we may endure, the the things that we may endure for righteousness' sake. For this you were called, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow him. 
this motivation to have this mind of Christ ought to have been in Philemon. That's what Paul is challenging Philemon uh, to have. Or indeed, ought to be in each of us if we are followers of Jesus Christ. What would Philemon do? And we have to ask ourselves the question, are my actions directed with this mind of Christ? Even though I may be right in certain cases, even though I may be wronged, I, have, I, I can do this, and I'm going to show them that I'm right, the mind of Christ may demand that those rights be set aside and that we act differently than the world expects so that our Lord truly might be worshipped and glorified. It's not about us. I'm compelled to say, if I may, and I acknowledge that this may be a little bit of a judgment on my part, but I don't think it's a digression of much, of sorts. I'm always shocked at hearing some believers in Jesus Christ ignoring this vital, fundamental Christian command of accepting wrong for Christ's sake. And notice, it's for Christ's sake. Because it's directly linked to what Christ has done for believers. And this has bewildered me many times. And please understand, I am not the standard. I, again, speak to myself first. But to me, the ignoring this basic Christian principle because it's, it's what Christ has done for us, to me, at least evidences to some degree how certain believers are walking in their faith with Jesus Christ. And again, I acknowledge it might be judgmental. Things are said between Christians wherein one is offended and things are, are done where one a person is offended, wronged in, in some way. And then how many times do we hear of one or both parties walking away in a huff and never trying to make it right? And I'm talking about believers in Jesus Christ. Sadly, why in these situations is a scriptural advice? Indeed, it's not advice. It's a command. Why is this command not followed? There is always a reason why the offended person says as to why the, the, the offender has to make it right. Uh, you, you know, they might say things like, oh, you don't know the terrible things that they've done. You don't know the terrible things that they've said to me. They have to apologize before, and they go on and on and on. And then, then the offended comes up, or maybe we shouldn't even talk about the offended. How about us? We come up with all types of theological bricks, all types of theological evidence to support our position because we are right and we want to be proved right. And so armed with all of that theological stuff, we want to prove the fact that we're right. And the caution to Philemon, and the, Colossian, the caution to me and to you, is that we are to be aware, beware of winning that argument, but we've lost the opportunity to witness Christ's love and grace in our own lives. Our reasons may have been correct if we're wronged, to prove that we are right. But Christ does not give the offended one 
that right? It's out of love, the same life with, with love which Christ suffered and died, that we are to set aside our rights. You see, Christ did not endure that terrible suffering after we apologized, did we? Christ did not endure that terrible suffering after we made restitution. It, scripture says, while we were enemies. And you go through Scripture and you look what enemies do. Well, in light of Scripture, what does enemies do to Christ? We mocked Christ. We were pushing the thorns down on the very head of Christ. We as his enemies were driving the nails into his hands. We as his enemies were driving the nails into his feet. And we pierced his side. We were his enemies. The point is, that's when Christ died for us. Not after we apologized. Why is it that some true believers in Jesus Christ, why is it that we refuse to reconcile? And even though we're part of that same body, Christ suffered the same amount for each of us. Christ did not suffer any more or any less for the one that was right or the one that, that was not right because it's all of grace. And folks, if we don't understand that our salvation is all of grace, you don't understand grace. And so we have this, I would say, very heartfelt letter written by the apostle to his dear friend Philemon as to how Philemon should treat Onesimus. Onesimus was now a brother in Christ, says the apostle. Onesimus, says Paul, was a man for whom Christ died. So treat this man for whom Christ died uh, as such, and, and that Christ forgave him like he forgave you, Philemon. Christ restored him like he restored you, Philemon. He redeemed him just like you. He is now part of the same body. Philemon, he's equal with you in Christ. Remember that. And so verse 16, accept him no longer as a slave, but as a brother, beloved brother, Accept him as a partner as you would me. So that's the letter to Philemon. But one of the things that I start off saying is that this letter is the gospel. We have to grasp something deeper in this letter to Philemon. In Paul's writing, he is pointing to the very core of the gospel. We have to see this picture that Paul is making of the gospel in his letter to Philemon. And so, do we see it? Uh, but more importantly, do I make it my own? Do I see me in this letter? So we have Onesimus from the outcast of society, as a slave having absolutely no hope. He is a criminal. He owes his master, and restitution must be made, restitution which he cannot make. It was impossible. He was a slave, and so his only Solution was to run away from his master. Then we have Philemon, the rich owner, who was wronged by Onesimus. And technically and legally, he had every right to demand the death sentence for Onesimus. He had every right to demand that Onesimus be punished and make some type of restitution. Then Paul, the advocate for Onesimus, telling Philemon, Whatever he owes you, charge it to my account. I will repay in full. <clears throat> in other words, 
Don't hold Onesimus' sin against him, says Paul. Do we see the picture of the gospel? Do we see ourselves in this letter that we were slaves to sin, running from our creator, running from God, but then Christ, our advocate, brings us to himself and says to his father, charge it to my account. And God did charge it to Christ's account. Do we then see that in this letter, truly, as we read all of Scripture, that everything is about Christ? That everything, that Christ is to have the preeminence in everything and no one else, even in this letter to a slave owner. So, as out of interest, what is the epilogue of this letter? We don't have any scriptural references, but there are a number of historical pieces of information that give us some clues as to what might have happened. And again, they're clues. We don't know for sure. One is there is a number of references, a number of references to a man who becomes a bishop in the church of Ephesus, not far from Colossae, some 30 or 40 years after the writing of this letter. And his name was Onesimus. Could be our Onesimus that we read about here, that indeed he may have got his freedom from slavery and becomes a leader in an early church. Then we have another one. There was a stone inscription, still available, still there, uh, found in Laodicea, which is a stone's throw from Colossae. And the inscription was obviously written by a slave or a former slave, and it's thanking a Marcus Cestus Philemon for his freedom. Could this be our Philemon that we're talking about today? I would say if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we can have that conversation with Philemon someday. Let's pray together. Our God, as we look at ourselves, we acknowledge that we were slaves to sin, but you have redeemed us, restored us. Father, you have elevated us into your body. Father, and what awaits us, the inheritance that we have, is just bewildering. And so, Father, we stand in awe before you, thanking you for your son, thanking you for what he did in the cross for each of us who call upon his name. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.